welcome to the Adfontes podcast. I am Rhys Laverty, senior editor of the journal Adfontes. Uh, I'm joined, as always, and in person, again, with uh, Colin Redimer, poetry editor of Adfontes, and auntie Aaron Kamel, editor-at-large at Adfontes. And, and we're still here in Denver, recording a bank of um, episodes while we're together. Yeah? What are we talking about today, Rhys? Today, as, as you take a sip of your uh, fine English tea that you brought with you. All the way across the Atlantic, always bring your own tea bags. I was speaking to another English girl at ETS today who was lamenting that she hadn't brought her own tea bags. Oh, what a JV move. Yeah, don't be that girl. Um, there were some good English tea bags for sale down the street as well, though, so it can be found. Um, we're going to talk today, well, let's see. Just before we came to record this episode, we rendezvoused at the convention centre we were at. Um, and I got a call from Monty saying, hey, we're good to go. So I rushed upstairs. You know, I just met a Christian YouTuber who was super excited to me. It's like, oh, but I've got to go and hang out with my real friends. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then I walk outside. And what are these two guys doing? They are smoking. Halfway through a, a very fine cigar, which Anzi brought for me. Um, Florida? From Florida. From Florida. <laughs> From Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was going to say. I'm hosting because Anzi's losing his voice. The other thing so. is, yes, I've lost my voice. Yeah, so. we're preserving the best of him um, to, to chip in on this episode. So we thought, hey, we actually didn't... We had another idea for this episode, but we thought, hey, let's talk about smoking and care of the body <laughs> uh, more generally. Um, and uh, if there's any Christian and historic uh, reformed take we could have on smoking, but maybe not. So we thought we'll broaden out to uh, care of the body. As well. Now, I, I'll, I'm, you know, good, maybe I'm a good person to this. I've never had a puff or a toke of anything. Nothing. Not, not a cigarette. Not, not a clove. A, uh, nope, not a cigar. Uh, pipe. Not a pipe. No, my wife owns a pipe. Um, I won't ask about any other substances since they may or may not be legal in the residence where you're listening to this. <laughs> They're very legal here in Denver. <laughs> very legal in Denver. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. Signs everywhere. So we hear. Um, yeah, so I've never had a puff of anything. I do not smoke. I have various reasons for that. But, uh, and I'm pretty sure I would have, uh, certainly among my UK confrères, I think most people would basically be very surprised if you're a Christian and you smoke. Hmm. Um, I just sort of assume everyone in Europe is smoking all the time. I mean, French people probably look good when they smoke. English people look awful. Um, so I grew up in the the same I think we mentioned this earlier but I don't know how how similar it was on this side of the Atlantic in the era of like the terrify the children to stop smoking like ad campaigns you know um, this is this is your child breathing in your smoke and dying whereas I'm slightly older than you so I actually watched that stuff come into being I I very much remember it developing I remember sitting in, in class in fourth grade and they brought in, like, tubs of tar. And we're like, this is your lungs after smoking. You know. I, I, have a, I have a vivid memory of getting dropped off at high school in my freshman year. And there was a rule that, obviously, there was no smoking in the high school that had been around for a long time. But right outside, it, before everybody walked in, everyone, all the upperclassmen were smoking cigarettes. And then, like, you know, the bell rings and everybody stubs their cigarettes out and goes inside. My parents are always, you know, advising me, this is a very bad habit, don't do this, you know. So that that was there, but it wasn't at the level that I think it was for even people just a, a, a little below Iowa, my, my grade, because by my sophomore year, they changed the rule. Mm-hmm. There was no smoking anywhere on, on the any school grounds. Yeah, when I got to school, secondary school in 2004, there was still a teacher smoking. Mm. At that point, right? Would you have had a teacher smoking room? I uh, I think that they did for some of like my elementary schools, mm-hmm. um, but I don't mm-hmm. think they did by high school. I think they were supposed to smoke outside, but I think you know by my sophomore year of high school, it was completely smoke free campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was a change mm-hmm. that I kind of witnessed, and you sort of, and then it became this vice. It was a very clear. My parents always had told me told me it was a vice, but then institutionally, it was sort of unclear, right? It was something mm. my parents held, but not necessarily institutionally. Institutionally, there's something, you know, it's sort of acceptable in a certain way. Um, but then, you know, again, they changed that and it became obviously, no, this is yeah, a vice. Yeah. Well, I was like terrified as a kid. I used to steal my mum's cigarettes and like tear them up and throw them in the bin. Uh, <laughs> on a family holiday once, I seven, eight maybe, I stole my cousin's cigarettes and buried them below the tide line at the beach. Uh, and the tide came in and covered up where they were. And we were on a small island 
and uh, the next day was Sunday and all the shops were closed so she couldn't buy cigarettes again for another 40 hours um, so I was on like a, cru- a health you know driven crusade about mm. not wanting my very pure net- family members puritanical of you yeah it was kind of you know um, uh, prohibition which we you know Puritans friends of the show yes. so I mean that in all the, the best senses yeah, that's a, well yeah but the Puritans were actually pretty chill about all this well stuff. yeah well yeah and so, so it turns out so. the Puritans were not puritanical really yeah I mean they like, smoking well, no, that I didn't probably smoke. I mean, they're all, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think smoking, but also like they're pretty chill about sex in particular ways. Like if you talk to Miles yeah. Smith about this, you know, it's actually really kind of interesting. They get a, a bad rap, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you can find Puritan texts like suggesting that, you know, it's something just shy of a sacred duty to like make love on the Sabbath. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. Yeah, well, the, and like the John Owen, image like, of sexual pleasure yeah, yeah, was yeah. like very strong within marriage, right? So the, right. the there's a boundedness to it, they, but it's a natural sort of, good. I mean, this is the thing that you know could really get me in trouble. I suppose I'm not making a judgment about whether this is good. I'm not saying it's good. Just you know, it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be good, you, but it not might good. not be good. But uh, but you know, I mean, they they kind of also sort of recognize that, like you know teenagers are going to do what teenagers are going to do and mm. the key is to get them hitched once they do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, lest they burn with lust. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like adultery, very strong prohibitions on adultery. Um, and then kind of like, okay, well, that happened. Time to get married, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of a thing. Okay. Um, but with smoking, <clears throat> I don't know, Colin, do you have thoughts on smoking? Yeah. I think you smoke less than I do. I do. Reese, you smoke not at all. Mm. I smoke maybe like a pipe every other day. Every now and then I smoke a cigar. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, uh, I was not I was not ever really a, a smoker. I had a very good friend who uh, I grew up with who was raised in a home where his parents were smokers. The, the, he lived with his grandparents, actually, but they were both smokers, uh, very heavy smokers. So I would, like, you know, go over there, and I think I was sort of basically smoking, you know, even just though... Just living in the... Or being <laughs> right, in the just by, like, sleeping yeah, over yeah. or whatever. Um, and, uh, I, you know, but there was something, like... I. This shift to the point where, like, children now are propagandized from a very young age, mm. uh, you know, whenever it, it it triggered something in me so that when I finally ended up in California among all these people for whom it's horrifying to think of anyone smoking, it made me really want to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, to, just to sort of, because it's not that much of a vice. That's the thing. That's that's what really gets me. So when I was in college, there's it can be it, it can, can be, be, but it's clearly possible for this to be something done in moderation. And like when I teach Aristotle's Ethics, and he's talking about the golden mean relative to moderation, I talk to the students about how every time they go to a party where there's drinking going on, what they're actually looking for is moderation. And you can argue with them and help them to see that. And then when you tell them, okay, now I want you to figure out how much is the moderate amount that we should be smoking. They lose their minds. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. no, there couldn't possibly be a moderate amount of this. Like, I, I don't see a lot of difference between these so two. So my, my, my take on this is that actually what's, what really became poisonous with smoking in the 20th century, with the easy availability of pre-rolled cigarettes, mm-hmm. is the volume. I mean, that's so you could really, become a forty-a-day smoker. You could smoke a pack, two yeah. packs a day. That's my and uh, that my late grandmother. That's what killed. That it. to me is the excess. Um, the, you had an entire society indulging in excess, and then there's a huge counter-reaction against mm. that is my sort of take on, on, on the history. And actually, the, the counter-reaction might be a good, right? So oh, there, of course. There's something yeah. good in it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But but perhaps it's sort of, it, it's become a little pathological. It's gone a little too far. Yeah, well, most of them, my feeling is that among Christians, there is now a little bit more of a, like, a counter-counter-reaction, which is at times driven by the, <laughs> uh, you guys told me not to... And there's an idol of health. Something we think we want to get onto this. Yeah. That you know, we so worship prolonging our physical existence in as healthy, kind of pristine, living in a matrix pod kind of way as we can. That why on earth would I ever smoke? Um, and so some people, it's a bit of like, well, just to show you, I don't idolize my health. Right. I'm gonna smoke. That's yeah. one of the reasons I took it up actually. And I okay. Think, <laughs> okay. I, no, I I think you have it's the most base this. thing you've ever said on the podcast. So. <laughs> I did have a tweet once that was maybe a little bit even spicier than that. And someone who's on right wing Twitter told me, this is a great tweet. And I was like, uh, okay, I'm going to delete that. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, um, I remember when I was in college, I had taken up smoking a pipe once a week. I had a friend of mine the night before she had just tried mushrooms with her boyfriend. 
And I told her I took up smoking a pipe, and she just, like, we were walking on the sidewalk, and she just stops and looks at me, and she's like, what are you doing? It's so you know, bad for like, your yeah. body. Yeah. I was like, you're just experimenting with psychedelics. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was yeah, a very yeah. strange... Way worse for you. Um, but I mean, um, yeah, the idol of health thing, right? Because I think one of the strong Christian arguments against smoking and against these sorts of vices generally is um, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, yeah, which means things. that we have particular ethical obligations, not simply to others, but also to our own bodies. And smoking is something that is not good for the body, um, and therefore you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you guys make of that argument? Yeah, I think this, is a, oh, this is a very good argument, and to ground it, uh, you know, we like resourcement and, and whatnot. So the, the Westminster Larger Catechism, I think, if you want to sort of make arguments about health, is the place that you go. And it says that it's the positive keeping of the Sixth Commandment. And so I'm going to read you question 135. Uh, from the Westminster Larger Catechism. What are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? Which is? Uh, which I think is not to kill, right? Don't don't kill. Is that right? No? I Now I can't keep the number straight because I sort of, yes, yes, sort yes. of adopted the Lutheran ordering and then went back. And I don't Five know. is parents because it's the hinge between yeah. God and man. And then it's uh, and sixth is murder. Seven is adultery. Yeah. Eight is, eight is theft because I always remember that the episode of The Simpsons... Uh, it's called Lisa Simpson versus the Eighth Commandment, and that's about stealing. Yeah, because Marge still grapes. Yeah, carry on. All right. So, what what are the, what are the duties required of it? The duties required. Who's the answer? The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any by just defense thereof against violence patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, a sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor, recreation, charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild and courteous speeches and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil, comforting and succoring the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. And so if, you know, you could say one thing this requires <clears throat> is that you take care of the body. I mean, it mentions that, that you use substances in a way which is moderate and not, you know, distressing to the health of the body, that, that your body is something that you have an obligation towards, mm-hmm. which is a, just a very Augustinian point as well, right? So if you want to talk about the ordering of your loves and, and the ways in which you're supposed to care for things, of course you can make an idol of the body. And you see that all the time. And so that, that's kind of what Reese is talking about, yeah. that there are people who sort of think that their body is a temple unto itself or something, right? And that's right. clearly wrong. The body is the temple of me. I live in here. The body is a temple to the Lord, which is me. Right. Um, and that's that's wrong. But the body as a temple um, and, and putting it under the submission of God and making it ready for the things that God has for you to do so that you can live out your vocation, you know... You know, I, it's, I'm a really large person and one way that I can help people is by moving stuff. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people can't move big things. I can move big things. And if I'm not, if I'm like a couch potato and I'm smoking constantly and I'm drinking constantly and I'm eating fast food and I never exercise, I'm somehow failing to be what it is that I'm called into being to be. Mm-hmm. So the readiness to love, the readiness to do the charitable act. Requires that I take care of my body at, at like a very basic level and, and loving the body that God gave me sort of in a certain sense, I think even comes before the loving of the body of my neighbor because the love of the body of my neighbor requires that my body be ready to do that. Right. Yeah. It's like that, those, um, airplane, you know, um, you get on an airplane, they show you the like videos or whatever about like in case of whatever in, you know, it's, it's one of those put your own mask on first. And then put the mask on the person next to you, right? Mm-hmm. So take care of your own body. You're gasping so kid next to you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think like, I think though, the moral equation that people make when it comes to smoking is, um, so it's not like eating unhealthy food, which, you know, both feeds you, which you need, but also kind of happens to make you fat. Um, it's just something you have, you do not have to do at all uh, and could, in fact, make you very ill. Um, but to that extent, it's just the same as alcohol because nobody needs to drink alcohol. Um, 
yet, like we said, the kind of propaganda uh, movement of the last however long. And propaganda makes it sound like overly cynical. Like it's a good thing to want fewer people to die of lung cancer. Yeah, when I when I normally use the term propaganda, and maybe you guys are using it the same way. Um, no, I, you use it a much more intelligent, bespoke way. Well, than no, 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 no. Using I mean, like a noble lie. I, 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 no, not even that. I just sort of mean like, uh, yeah, maybe the noble lie. But I don't. I mean, in school, I was taught propaganda, and it was like Nazis had propaganda. The Soviet, Soviet Union, Union had propaganda, had but America doesn't. But, but America doesn't have propaganda. But we do have CNN, right? <laughs> we have NPR. Oh, yeah. um, but I mean, um, when I say propaganda, I just mean sort of like the public uh, broadcasting of the you know positions of the state yeah, on yeah. whatever the issue is. That's mm-hmm. that's really all I mean, or the society on yeah, whatever the issue is for good or ill, right? Okay. Um, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think people who are utterly convinced that smoking is just a stupid risk to take and, and why would you ever do it and for some reason think alcohol is different um, still among Christians love the kind of Tolkien Lewis pipe smoking Don vibe um, right. and we all love sitting there watching that's the other reason I got into smoking did you want to be a pipe smoking Don yeah because I was like you know what even though you don't like Tolkien and Lewis this is the most Tolkienian and Lewisian thing about you as well oh yeah yeah. So, no, I, I love. The it's a series of unlikely things being based being like Tolkien being like Lewis. I love the life that they live. I mean, part of it to me, I, you know, I'll be honest, was that smoking, when I took it up, was the sort of like last rebellion. Okay. Um, the taboo of health. It was, well, I mean, yeah, but but just, it was the sort of, it was a taboo that I did not feel um, morally compromised in breaking. Mm. Because when I was in college, you know, everyone's sleeping around. Everyone's doing really hard drugs. Everyone, uh, I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people, you know, most people. And there was no social, there were no social repercussions for this. But I was like, look, smoking isn't intrinsically evil. I didn't think we can talk about that later. Um, and uh, and you guys think that it's bad, um, but you can't really articulate how it's different in kind from any of these other things that you're constantly doing that are objectively damaging to your soul. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I you know, and I think though, if we could resurrect Lewis, you know, and I'm, I'm always happy to try channeling Lewis to the best of my abilities, and I'm sure I fail at that, but. I think he would say that he probably was in excess there. I think I think he would, oh, yeah. you know, acknowledge that it was. He's very good at admitting his faults. So like he admits how he doesn't like the company of children, and that's his. And he problem. says it's a fault, yeah. right? He says, and this is not good, and I need to sort of be sad about the yeah. fact that I do this, and this is why I'm. You know, somebody asks him, uh, you know, if if he's if he could quit smoking, and he says, of course I could quit smoking, but I couldn't do anything else. But that's yeah. all I could do. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do anything else, and all uh, my efforts would be going into that. And, yeah. and note, right? He's actually born and and comes into his academic life pre- precisely in that moment that you're talking about, uh, Anzi, where you said it became just kind of a, a massive excess, right? He's mm-hmm. he's at the front lines in World War One, where everybody's smoking, you know, state handed out cigarettes and. And then he goes, and he, when he gets his first job in Oxford, uh, he has this letter to, to one of his friends where he describes his life there. Now that he's got his rooms, and he's finally made it. He's so happy with himself. And the porters, right, they have these, like, waiters. Because all the men were living in the colleges, right? And they're all basically single. It's like a big frat house for, for brilliant minds. And uh, the porters, you know, would come down the hall, and they had, you know, breakfast, sir. And he's like, uh, sure, you know, what, what, did, what does everybody else have? And the, and the porter says, well, we have port. And we have cigars. What would you like? <laughs> and like that was breakfast, right? So clearly, clearly that's an excess. Yeah, and, he, right. and he acknowledges it as such, but it's kind of a luxurious. He's kind of excited about it because he's a twenty-something who got a job, right? Yeah. Um, but but that's the the life of the world that he was in. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also think there's something about. So I read. I mean, like Ulysses Grant chain smoked cigars. I mean, he was at one point during the Civil War. He was smoking twenty cigars a day. Um. And I do think that there is something about the body. I would die. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. He he moderated himself to ten a day after the yeah. Civil War was over. But I do think that there's something about being a creature with a body that, um, you know, living in a body is hard. Having a body is difficult, and we find ways of trying to make it through the world in our bodies. Um, of easing some of the stressors. Mm-hmm. And I think that smoking for a lot of people, and certainly for me, provides a great deal of psychological relief. Um, um, and so I, I sort of think that certain kinds of, even even if they tend toward excess and we want to avoid excess objectively, certain kinds of excess um, can, in some cases, facilitate the kind of um, 
easier movement through life in, in other particular respects. And I think that's what smoking did for a lot of people. Like in World War One, you're in the trenches. You you know it's a it's kind of it's a distraction. It's a way of 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 fostering camaraderie when you smoke with friends. You know these sorts of things. And so there are goods um, that are attainable by smoking um, uh, or by drinking that that you know can provide certain kinds of relief that that do I think actually help us make it through the world. So that would be my sort of limited defense of slight excess in some of in some of these respects mm. but maybe i'm off base there I well i'm thinking that i think the, the pious uh is, and again i don't mean that critically like you know well-meant kind of instinctive response that i have so i'm sure a lot of other christian non-smokers would share is but honestly in those times you know where you're stressed ever like you know take it to jesus and, and but see pray. i never pray more than when i'm smoking <laughs> i pray a lot when i smoke actually okay interesting yeah, uh, you know, so Charles, Charles Spurgeon, what we're really talking about, you know, so I'm going I'm to do my Aristotle thing. What we're really talking about is moderation. So, right. and um, and this is a natural virtue. It's it's not something that you require Christianity to sort of like puzzle through. Mm-hmm. Other people have figured this out, um, and uh, and and different people recognize this in in different ways. So, somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, I, I I don't I haven't read this. I heard it kind of secondhand. So here you're getting a third hand version. It's probably not true. Find a Spurgeon <laughs> scholar, and they'll tell Spurgeon, you. Spurgeon, Chesterton, yeah, all yeah. the big Victorian, books, right? So, you know. so um, Spurgeon was asked, you know, well, aren't you, aren't you being immoderate in your smoking? And he says, absolutely not. And she says, you know, well, what would, what would that mean? And he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm only smoking with one hand. If I had a cigar in two hands, <laughs> um, and you know. Okay, that's I, I would say that's probably a little too far, and so it's a little too cheeky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that's just you know he's clearly intentionally being cheeky, but um, but the impulse is correct that you have to recognize sort of like what are what are limits here? What what when have you sort of overdone it? And if you've got one in each hand, you know clearly it's like I can't I can't wait for this hand to sort of like I gotta go in with two, yeah, yeah, right, like right. an old like newspaper editor in like a black and white exactly yeah 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 or you know there's there's like you know gifts of people who are like have multiple cigarettes you know all lined up yeah, in their yeah, mouth like an old lunatic yeah. yeah John Stott had a more like measured like posh English version of that where he was like um, I would always I would always take a biscuit when offered one and a biscuit American listeners is a cookie just saying so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they would apply the bottom they would apply even the more derision to... on Reese's face towards you, my American <laughs> listeners, cannot be expressed on the radio. <laughs> An American today said to me, "Hey, do you want a biscuit?" And it, I, for a moment, I was like, "Yes, it's the perfect time for a biscuit." And I realized what he was offering me. I was like, oh, "No, I do not want that." <laughs> what would you call what he offered you? A dumpling. <laughs> you know that a dumpling is like a pasty it's got stuff inside a pasty this is again Whatever. another conversation we've had today this is a rabbit hole hey John Stott said when he was he would always take a biscuit when offered he said to, to, to refuse would be asceticism mm. and to take two would be gluttony you know right right so um, but but you know so if he's if he's going too far right so moderation is a virtue between excess and deficiency and the, the first thing you need to ask yourself about the bodily virtue, the, the natural virtues is, um, you know, are, are most people more likely to fall on the side of excess or deficiency? Because that's valuable information that tells you whether or not you need to sort of, you know, pull yourself t- more towards, uh, you know, uh, the, the deficiency or more towards the excess in order to achieve the virtue. Because the virtue is a mean not in the sense that it's directly in the middle between the two things, right? Um, it's the mean... Relative to yourself, relative to your situation, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, are most people more likely, if, they, if they're going to smoke, are they more likely to smoke too much or too little? And, uh, you know, for most of the pleasures of the body, the answer is going to be the too much. Mm-hmm. Because pleasure wants to be indulged. Right. It's, that's what you mean, right? Im- implicit in the sense of pleasure is you enjoy it. And if you enjoy something, you're likely you to, want do, to it, do it. And you're going to do it more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... That tells you for most people, there's going to be excess, which means that the mean, the the moderate, is going to be closer to the deficiency. So you actually, you know, most people, particularly if you're going to indulge, you have to hold yourself back. You have to be aware of yourself holding yourself back to get the pleasure that's in the thing, Mm -hmm. the real pleasure of it, which is actually in the moderate use of it. Mm -hmm. You have to sort of be aware of yourself holding yourself back. However... There's a certain character, there's a certain type, not accusing you, Reese, um, who who never, ever indulges in it. 
And, uh, you know, there, and that can also be a temptation. It's just a much rarer one. And for these people, there is something Aristotelian about thinking about when, um, is going to be the right time, the right moment for the right reasons to engage, to to enjoy the thing, to engage the pleasure so that you can participate in the natural good that the pleasure really is offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it may Not be... Not the pleasure qua pleasure, but the thing that brings pleasure. Yeah. Well, and so, so, so my experience of smokers has largely been like probably over-smoking in British working class people, um, who, yep. most of whom are like my family members and our grandmother died of emphysema like choking on her own phlegm. You know, that's, that's hanging over everybody. Um, yeah. Whereas when I've been around... The, you know, and, and everybody who knows smokers... Knows some somebody folks who are in that yeah, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas being around like the you know the born again pipe smokers smoking seems far more appealing mm-hmm. in that context mm-hmm, than mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. what I'm used to. Yeah. So, so Colin, I, I I take your point. Wait, sorry. One thing. Oh, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. is there a name for that person who doesn't ever do the thing, or is well, it one of those times that Aristotle's like these people are so rare we don't need to give them a name? Uh, like, you know, I think we would say it's like parsimonious or, or, okay. or, you know, it's like um, stinginess, but not with money. Yes, like, exactly. Like with physical pleasure. Yeah. 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 And, and so we call them Puritan. <laughs> I mean, re- really, that's what the term Puritan is in our, in, in sort of current usage. That's, and how that's what that, that signifies. Sort of means. Right. And, and so, you know, like I, I, the example I give for this is, um, of somebody who gets it right. You know, who's who's sort of tempted to the other side but gets it right, which is a very rare type, right? Which is why it's hard to put your finger on it. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to think of the person who overdoes it and drinks too much or, or smokes too much. It's also, I think, comparatively easy compared to that person to think of the person who engages, who, who does drink, who does smoke, and does so in a moderate way, who's sort of a better image. Like they're closer to a moral exemplar yeah. like, relative mm-hmm. to pleasure. What's really difficult is thinking for the people who aren't going to do it, what's somebody who doesn't? but doesn't fall into the vice of sort of underdoing it and looking down on the, on the pleasure. Right. So, um, you know, my grandfather never drank. He's in world war two, you know, famous for getting the, you know, they give you these beer tickets when you're in world war two and you're a GI and, and, you know, everybody's in combat. It's horrible. It's all the stuff you were talking about. Right. right. And then the gut, you know, the government would hand out beer to them when they weren't on the front lines so that they could like, you know, blow off steam, but you'd only get a couple beer tickets. You'd get like you know, one or two beer tickets because they don't want you getting drunk. Cause that's a problem. Cause you've all got like firearms and explosives. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, he was, he was loved in his unit supposedly because he would always give away his beer tickets. That's mm-hmm. a really beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. However, yeah, he's the, not going to look down on... He's not burning them, you know, performatively or yeah. like ripping them up. Well, and then, and then, uh, you know, sort of late in life, um, you have one glass of wine with my family. And in my mind, I was like, that was the most gentlemanly... Like, you know, he had, my, my, you know he, my mother was raised in a family where nobody drank ever. And, you know, married my father, it's a family where, you know, they're like a glass of wine with dinner. Late in life, he's sort of, his his wife has died, he's older. He's sort of, we're not part of his family anymore, right? He's part of our family. Mm-hmm. And there's like an affirmation that like, yeah, this is... This is how you do things here. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate in this and just enough. Mm-hmm. So I want to, Colin, I want to push you on this, maybe Reese, you know... So to sort of play devil's advocate against devil myself. doesn't need one, Anzi, but you can argue whatever you want. <laughs> but I'm not allowing anyone to advocate for the devil. That's right. Okay. Uh, so to argue against myself, I think we would all say that there are certain things that, going back to Westminster that you were reading, that should never be permitted. Mm-hmm. You know, certain sort of sins against the body um, that we would not allow. And this is where I think Aristotle's like conception of virtue i think it's very helpful in certain respects but there are certain things that that cannot be undertaken well um in any amount right there are certain things where you should not be moderate Mm -hmm. a moderate moderate amount of self-harm in certain contexts you know not 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 permissible why doesn't smoking fall under the category of one of those things that's absolutely prohibited yeah because it well, I guess the, the question is, does I mean, it, it's, it's not good for to you. To sort of defend the Baptists, yeah. you know, right, right, this kind of old school, no smoking, no drinking, <clears throat> like Baptists. Well, apparently Baptists now are relaxing on tobacco. But I mean, um, um, but I think there is a kind of, they sort of thought that these things should be 
under the category of things that ought never to be done, mm-hmm. that there is no way of doing them moderately. Mm-hmm. What, why, why doesn't smoking fall under? Yeah. So, that? um, you know, I, I, I know you mentioned that I, I smoke less than you. I smoke very rarely actually. So this is like, right. You hardly smoke at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I will have like, you know, maybe a cigarette at finals week, you know, at, at most special occasions. Yeah. yeah. I would. Yeah. A couple times a year, you know, just to be frank, and Very you know, sometimes cigars. You know, sometimes it'll be it's whatever somebody's got. You know, right. happy to happy to like you know. You brought me a cigar here. I have a cigar with you, and it was delightful. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. it a lot. You know, um, and I and I tell the students that, which scandalizes them. Like, I love smoking. <laughs> I never smoke. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't. and and, um, and so for, you know, the first set of distinctions I would make is to say, Aristotle says that there's there's a difference between somebody who does something and somebody who has the habit of the thing, and that's true of the virtue, and it's true of the vice. The difference between somebody who does courageous things, but doesn't derive pleasure in the act of being courageous, right? And somebody who is courageous, which is to say they become, their identity has become one with the virtue of courage. Yeah. Yeah. They're an image of courage to the society if they become courageous because Mm -hmm. they have the habit of it. And so actually smoking, students never understand. This is like very confusing for first time readers of Aristotle. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. And then I say... Well, isn't there a difference between somebody who smokes and a smoker? And then, at least some of the students in the room who have family who's, who are smokers, they get it. Yeah. Because there's a difference between somebody who, yeah, this is an act that I sometimes do, but it's not who I am. It's not something I have to do. It's very take it or leave it. And somebody who, like, wakes up with the itch. Mm-hmm. You know, they become yeah. a smoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and even when they quit smoking, it's the way that alcoholics talk, right? Even if they don't drink, like I, I have a friend who's an alcoholic, he's in AA, he's been sober for like a decade, he's probably never going to drink again, you know, God willing. But if you ask him, you know what he says? He doesn't say like, oh yeah, I don't drink. You know, I have friends like that who say, mm-hmm. I don't drink. Like that was my grandfather, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't drink. But my grandfather was not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But this guy, it's in his character, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a professor in college who felt that way about menthols. <laughs> she was a Luther scholar and she would sometimes just like... To, to illustrate original sin and the sort of temptation towards sin, she would always use her, like, chain-smoking of menthols as a younger woman. She would be like, she would be like, I haven't smoked a menthol in 20 years. But damn, if you told me tomorrow that menthols wouldn't kill me, mm-hmm. I would pick up a menthol. <laughs> and she used that to illustrate the, the point about the itch, I take it, is that it, it becomes a kind of compulsion and, and she would use this to illustrate original sin, yeah, the kind yeah, of compulsive yeah. nature of our sinful natures. Yeah, it's, sort of, it's, yeah. it's always going to be there. It's right. part of who she is. It's going to be reined right. in and yeah. sanctified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I think... Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's an exact parallel. And a lot of what you just said, I think, is exactly how like Proverbs will talk about drink. That we know the drunkard is a character. Mm-hmm. He's a kind of person. You find plenty in Proverbs about the drunkard. But you'll then find plenty in Proverbs and elsewhere about the goodness of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's made to gladden the heart of men and so you know so I think of a hard like Christian um, kind of uh, uh, sobriety is just a non-starter like it's truly absurd I think and all the well, kind of word study no, arguments no, 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 about how, how non-alcoholic wine that's just it sobriety is necessary but is the consumption of alcohol opposed to sobriety intrinsic? Yeah, so I meant like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's what you meant not, but not, not, clarifying not a drop and all the kind of word studies of uh of um, you know, oh, how alcoholic was wine back in the first century? It's, it's just absurd. Like I know a guy who American. If like, you just crush grape juice and you just leave it on your counter, you know, it's like within within hours you've got alcohol in there. Yeah. And within days you've got something you know that's that's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be strong. Yeah, I know a guy who he grew up down the road from wherever it is or was that Bart Ehrman teaches. Um, being like Bart Ehrman, very liberal New Testament scholar, how Jesus became God, you know kind of ex-evangelical, you know, New Testament skeptic. Um, and that was just like the college where all the kids from this guy's church went to. And they went to college and they met Bart Ehrman and they just got mown down by his thing and they all apostatized and whatever. <laughs> uh, and he was like, do you know what we spent six weeks on in like our high school senior year in church youth group um, on how non-alcoholic wine was in the first century? Mm. And that was what they wanted to get us ready for when we went to college. You know, mm-hmm. we shouldn't drink. Meanwhile, no one's preparing us for like New Testament liberal scholarship and all the stuff that's like actually going to destroy our faith. Right. Um, so I just think that kind of hard line on no Christian should drink is absurd. If it's what if it's your conscience, one hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm 
possibly still have been at that stage with kind of smoking. That. Yeah, I well, recognise this is a conscience thing for me. I don't want to bind anybody else's conscience on it. So that's good. Yeah, and and so the I think the second thing that Aristotle would say, and and this is actually where Aristotle is going to perhaps be in disagreement with. Yeah, he, he's going to side with the Anzi that just agree, disagreed with Anzi as he actually exists. Okay, right? okay, so, okay, okay. So yeah. he would say that we have to make a distinction. Uh, and the way you know that a pleasure shouldn't be indulged in is if it's a, a pleasure in opposition to nature. So there's natural pleasures and there's unnatural pleasures, and mm-hmm. unnatural pleasures sh- should not be engaged in. And mm-hmm. so, for example, natural pleasure. Uh, the, the distinction is you don't aim for the pleasure. So a natural pleasure is a pleasure that comes along with an act that you are going to do anyway. So you're you're trying to have children. Certain pleasure comes along with that. <laughs> this is natural. If you're just aiming for that pleasure, you're just using your body as a device mm-hmm. to gain pleasure, mm-hmm. right? In in self abuse, um, you know, then then that's that's unnatural, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why that's that would be considered unnatural. To, to make it less salacious, because that's probably like too triggering for some people to be able to think it through. So here's a slightly less salacious. Going for a jog will produce a natural pleasure. You get the runner's high, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> whereas uh, no one is just sitting there for fun sticking needles in their arms, mm-hmm. right? If there's no heroin in the needle, you don't do it. But if there's heroin in the needle, you see lots of people do it repeatedly over and over and over and over over again. So that's an unnatural pleasure. Mm-hmm. So but it does seem that with smoking, you're aiming at the pleasure. Well, so I was just thinking of this. The question. Yeah, and the same with alcohol. That, But this is why you'll get a lot of people who are just social smokers, I think. Because if you smoke a lot on your own, that's probably something questionable. Same as drinking on your own. Um, often those things come in as social. Okay, but say I'm a bachelor. And I have, you know, I mean, so like, it's one thing to talk about drinking in the ancient world is different in this respect. If you don't have clean water, mm-hmm. alcohol actually sort of, you know, kills all the bacteria. It's yeah, like, yeah, actually, yeah. You, you sort of need to drink um, to, to be able to like hydrate safely. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, now, Colin, you're a lover of wine. Not, 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 no, not no. in an inordinate sense. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, you, you enjoy good wine. Yeah. I enjoy good wine. Mm-hmm. My dad has, you know, passed that on to me. My grandfather grew wine grapes. If, if wine were not a thing people enjoyed, you know, my family wouldn't have made it. Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. But when I drink wine, I could drink something else that mm-hmm. fulfills the utility. Um, and in fact, wine, you know, alcoholic drinks dehydrate you yeah, yeah. Uh, now. And so um, you do drink wine for the pleasure, right? Uh, in Now... So I, I'm kind of curious, like, what you guys think about, um, you drink wine for the pleasure, at least of the taste of wine. Certainly, um, I would agree that if you're drinking for the pleasure for the buzz. of getting buzzed, yeah. then, then, we've, then we've got problems, I think. But that's um, the same, surely, as your thing about smoking to relax. Hmm. Yeah? Well, how, spell that out for me. So you say you smoke for, it relaxes, yeah, it's a relaxing thing. Yeah, that's what you said earlier. Right. Yeah, I don't smoke for the tobacco buzz. I just find the act of smoking relaxing. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah, and so... Because, so, um, in fact, pipe tobacco is generally much weaker in in sort of, like, nicotine per ounce than cigarettes or even cigars. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't so smoke it's more, for the So it's more the, the process and the act and the... The rolling and the lighting and the puffing and the chewing and right. all that. And kind the of flavors. Thing. I enjoy okay. the flavors, which is how I approach wine. Okay, yes, yes, yeah. So a good beer right. could be some. So, so right. good beer, yeah. good, yeah. Right. Aristotle right. scholars <clears throat> are divided on the issue. Okay, okay. Um, and, I, and, and I know some who sort of split the difference in some creative ways. So there's one person I know who, on purely Aristotelian grounds, says uh, beer and wine are acceptable natural pleasures, but hard liquor is not. And actually, Chesterton mm. sort of uh, implies this. Mm. In, his, in But for him, he says, the problem is thinking about alcohol. If you like alcohol, you like an unnatural pleasure. But if you like bourbon or like scotch... Mm. Well, he's not clear about whether okay, or not bourbon and scotch are acceptable, see, but I he see. says it's alcohol as opposed to beer. He talks about beer, you know, good beer. You know, mm. that's, that's Chesterton's thing. 
Um, and so, you know, I think there's a, there's a group of people who want to sort of say that. And so maybe you would, if you wanted to apply that to tobacco, you know, you could talk about, um, you know, somebody who's, somebody who's just, you know, smoking, smoking Marlboro's mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because they love nicotine. Yeah, so nicotine. nicotine I mean, also, you, you're, like you're nicotine. an alcoholic. You're not a beerholic, right? Even though alcoholics will generally just drink. Right, and so in that sense, like you know, I I know somebody who, which is why nicotine patches and other things become substitutes for smoking when people are trying to quit because it's the nicotine because they, they want they not love the, the nicotine. sort of smoking. Yep, that's right. Right. Okay. Um, okay. But you know, on on the other hand, I uh, I know you know. Um, I think I know enough of fate to say that for destruction, ice is also great uh, and should suffice. To, to quote Robert Frost, um, basically, that you know, is it is it really a natural pleasure? Uh, is it the kind of thing for it to be natural pleasure? It has to be like running. I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to wander around. If that stuff gives me pleasure, I'm, I'm going to make a baby. If that stuff gives me pleasure, that's great. And I shouldn't, but don't you know, focus on the pleasure. You know, is drinking like that? Is smoking like that? Uh, I'm not sure. So here's where I'm sort of curious and where I want to push because Reese quoted, you know, Ecclesiastes earlier, God gave wine to gladden the hearts of mm-hmm. men. Right. I think that's Ecclesiastes. I think so. Or it's in Ecclesiastes. Anyway. Or it's in Proverbs. In it's, Psalms. It's also in, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. Psalms. But Ecclesiastes also says that, you know, he gives us bread and wine, you know. And so yeah, that's Ecclesiastes' vision of the good. Like, it does, Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. isn't being ironic when it says. No, I think There's it's nothing better it's than genuine. to sit, eat, drink, it's genuine. be merry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eat, drink, be merry. Um, this, you know, under the sun and east of Eden, that's, that's the good life. So it does seem like the scriptures have a vision of God giving us things, um, simply because they're enjoyable. Right. Right. And for the sake of our enjoying them. Mm-hmm. Does that contradict Aristotle? I mean, it seems that that would sort of at least cause a tension. And, and alcohol, alcohol is like, you know, a clear product of like human craft. Um, even though it will occur naturally in some instances, but you got to grow the grapes, you got to press the grapes, you got to ferment, etc. But well, pipeweed is the same. This is why this is why I think in Middle Earth, pipeweed is the unique contribution of the hobbits. Yeah, because it is a truly leisurely thing. So I, I you know, I think I've, I've made the case that maybe this is not a natural pleasure, and we're, we're sort of exploring that. I think with alcohol, it's pretty simple uh, that it is a natural pleasure. Not, so what, not, do not by, what do you mean by natural pleasure? Not, not that it occurs in nature. No, it's just what I said earlier, that, that it's the kind of thing which is uh, like epiphenomenal to our acts. So we're going about acting as rational animals, being what we are as humans, and that by being what we are as humans, this is the kind of pleasure which will come to us, mm-hmm. uh, that we don't have to seek out, right? That, that it's not the kind of thing that you would only do so that you could go get that pleasure the way that self-abuse functions. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's harder to see, I think, now on this side of kind of industrialized agriculture and production. But it, I think it is still true, and you have to sort of look at it historically. When you go back to ancient uh, Greece, and you're looking at the the you know they're they're trying to put together these little farms and these little societies. There's only so much land that you can grow good stuff on. That's like you know what you really need, like bread. Mm-hmm. Then you've got all this craggy areas, and like you know grain doesn't grow there vegetables don't grow there not well anyway mm-hmm. um you need something that can have a really deep root and that can produce something uh on a regular basis based on a root that's going to tap really deep to get to the to the reservoir mm-hmm. to, to get to the good soil and some things can do that and some things can't yeah and two the two things that did that which you consistently see throughout the mediterranean are olives and grapes mm-hmm. yeah okay grapes don't keep and when they show up, they show up in bulk. It's not like, you know, you get like a grape every, you know, you don't get a bunch of grapes every day yeah, for yeah, like yeah. a year, right? You get they're like, not like chickens laying eggs. No, they're not like chickens laying eggs. Um, and so you, you've got a, you've got a problem because you need to store this stuff and you enjoy the grapes because the grapes show up as a result of your activity of, mm-hmm. of agriculture. And uh, you do enjoy the grapes when they show up. I'm sure they, they ate the grapes with gladness in their hearts. And then they had to figure out how, what do we do with the rest of these grapes? Because it's got to keep. Because there's going to be a winter. There's mm-hmm. going to be a, a season coming. Same with cheese and milk. It's a way of preserving cheese, milk che- and proteins. Exactly. And, 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 and same thing with brining olives. Preserve the olives. And the same thing with wine. So you, you press the grapes. You take the juice. You put it in a skin. It sits there. It, it evolves over time. And, you, know, and you, you sort of learn how to do that to be able to enjoy the, the fruit of the labor of man in a, in a more fulsome <laughs> sense. 
Um, and I think beer is functionally identical. It's like you can preserve the calories of this grain, um, you know, for for later. And it, and lo and behold, just like going and exercising with your buddy, and like at the end of it, you both have a little bit of a high. You sort of enjoyed yourself, and you know, you can engage in, in conversation and in the things of life better. And uh, and and that's what alcohol facilitates. So so when Plato argues about alcohol, he says there's two reasons for alcohol to exist. And they're very good reasons. And we have to, you can't outlaw alcohol from the city because it does two things that nothing else can do. Um, and we could debate about whether or not tobacco sort of facilitates the same thing. So it, it, it enables conversation and it enables a certain kind of conversation that can pr perform two social functions, which are necessary for man. One is you give it to young people so that they open themselves up and say stupid things. And you have to make sure an adult is there. So that when they say stupid, stupid things, you can tell them that's stupid. Don't say that. And you, you prune them and you sort of make them better in that way. He actually talks about it as a pruning, right? And so you get, you know, young people open up, say stupid like things. Like agricultural metaphor. Yes. And, um, and the second thing is that, and this is almost exactly what it says in scripture, that you give it to the old people because when they get weary of life, it gives them the joy of feeling young again. And it helps them to sort of remember and, and give young people a, a positive image of sort of like old age as an enjoyable phenomenon. Yeah. You can kick back and yep. yeah, Adrian can be merry. Right. Yeah. And and this is all note, it's all and it's all happening around conversation. It's all happening. So the point, therefore, I think to go back to Aristotle and natural pleasure, where's the natural pleasure? The natural pleasure is actually has to be in the rational space of the discourse among the community who's engaging in it. So if you're just sitting there smoking alone and thinking about smoking and you really need nicotine, you've got the itch, you've sort of gone off the rails. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting there and you're engaging in the cognitive activity of the mind, which can happen in dialogue internally to yourself, or it can happen between people. And I think we just, you need to kind of, this is actually, if you're going to do it, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. This is actually very helpful for me because when I smoke a pipe, I have rules for myself. I set my phone inside. I go smoke on our porch. Mm -hmm. I set my phone inside. I don't read. I go, I sit, and I contemplate while I'm smoking. And so for me, smoking has has always facilitated one of two things: either contemplation or dialogue with friends. Mm. Right. So and and, and, and that, what were we doing earlier today? Right. We were smoking the cigars and walking around and talking. Yeah. Um, Great conversation. And so, but but actually, so that's that's an interesting distinction. Whereas. Um, I think for a lot of people, the association they have with smoking, again, because of the sorts of excesses that were indulged in um, the 20th century, um, the the smoking is to scratch the itch. It's for the nicotine, the kind of pleasure of the you know the buzz and so forth, rather than to facilitate. Um, rather, maybe this is what makes it natural to facilitate these other goods that. Um, we would ordinarily be pursuing anyway, uh -huh. and yet it, it sort of assists us in yeah. attaining those. If, I mean, social so lubricant. If you're drinking so much that you can't think clearly, if you're drinking so much you can't think clearly, you you know you've gone overboard, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. a real phenomenon. Um, maybe even you know, if you're drinking so much that you can't have a conversation, clearly you've gone overboard. If you're drinking so much that you can't even really think about what you're drinking, you know. And, like, that's hard to assess in the moment. But I, I think you can kind of think of it the next day. You can be like, yeah, that last one, I wasn't really, I didn't even, even know, like, I didn't even notice it. It's like, okay, you've, you've gone too far. Mm. It's too much. There's a British comedy duo called uh, Mitchell and Webb. I doubt you guys have ever heard of. Um, they did run a famous sitcom called Peep Show. Before that, they had a, a sketch show. And they have one where this guy is this, well, he's a lawyer. And he's recruited into this like Illuminati group who run the world. Uh, and their thing is that they've uh, they all they all run the world having had just slightly less than two drinks, because they've realised that that is the optimum mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And so this guy joins, and within five years he's is with his world peace. And they all have different ways. One, one guy has like a, a, a can of special brew slowly dripping into his veins. One guy's constantly eating, you know, chocolate liqueurs so that he's just slightly buzzed. And I've, with everyone on just slightly less than two drinks, they achieve world peace and everything's rosy. And then having achieved everything, this guy, who's like president of the world, finishes his second drink. And in five minutes, there's nuclear Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that might, that might be a fitting place to, to begin to, to wrap up. Although we've gone on to alcohol rather than smoking, but I think we established maybe that they are basically the same kind of thing. Yeah, there, there's something parallel there. Um, and it's certainly in terms of whatever virtuous usage is going to look like, I think it's going to end up looking very similar. Um, you know, t- tobacco is, I, I think, slightly trickier because it's not, as you said, not as in, it's not about calories. It's not as intrinsic to the natural process of the evolution of agriculture. I would say that post-industrial agricultural approaches to things like wine will be relevantly similar to tobacco. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is to say that there's no social, now that we can preserve grapes, there's no sort of like... We don't, it's not necessary. It's not, there's no utility. Yeah, the we wine you're drinking is not the wine your village made to preserve all the, the calories. The right. Speak for yourself, Reese. <laughs> Please visit me in Northern California sometime and I can I can give you the natural product of the village that I I sort of wonder if our great-grandparents call and knew each other because my great-grandfather... Before he became an itinerant preacher, uh, actually, as part of his itinerant ministry, the hard drunk ministry, no, was 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 uh, key in developing California's agricultural economy. He would oh, go wow. help. He, he like he like helped uh, people figure out how to construct certain kinds of silos mm. to store mm. products of their agricultural. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone's grandparents sound way cooler than they do. You know. Oh yeah, I know, I know. I'm just so lame. The Redham Vineyard, the 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 <laughs> styles, styles. Actually, you know, agricultural. We drank millions. the last bottle that existed of the wine that was made for oh, grapes from my grandfather just a few years ago. How was it? Eh. <laughs> was that on a special was, occasion? I think we just kind of like found it, and uh-huh. and it was like you know this is going to turn to vinegar very very shortly. Right, right, right. It was not fine wine. Nobody knew. I mean, this is back before California was on anyone's uh, radar as a place where great wine was made. It was okay. Sentimental value. That's yeah. great, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll wrap up there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would feel more. I can see myself smoking a pipe at some point after. Just, just after once. This. If your children take up smoking, just once. <laughs> when my children That's take the way up smoking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's move to uh, what we're reading. Um, and well, we recorded this episode the day after we recorded our uh, our one on um, what are we talk about rhetoric and oratory. But we're we're bookish guys. We must all be reading other things. I did read something. Is this Between the first thing's article? Just for this. <laughs> so oh, I love this article. Michael Foley was a <laughs> writer. A I article. think he's dead now, uh, sadly. Know. he's an, He was an essayist in the 90s and the aughts uh, and into the 10s. Wrote, wrote all, and all over sort of Roman Catholic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. literary world. Um, and in 1997, he has a great essay, and I reread it in preparation for this. And so we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. It's called Tobacco and the Soul. Mm-hmm. And in it, he, um, I'll, I'll give Analogize you the, the teaser. He says, look, there's three kinds of smoking. Cigarettes, and, cigars, and pipes. And pipes. And they're all good in their own way. But you have to remember that they correspond to different aspects of the soul. Because the cigarette is the twitchy, you know, pleasure, mm-hmm. little quick hit of pleasure that the erotic man desires. <laughs> and so it corresponds to the lowest part of the soul. And That's the, right. And the cigar the is the large, thumotic, in chest face, yeah. chest, you know, chest thumping warrior, you know, okay. spirited uh, form of smoking. Mm-hmm. But the pipe, the pipe is the wistful, ethereal. For the intellect. For the intellect. For it's the a logos. fun little essay. It's yeah. a beautiful essay. I reread it and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And our, if anyone who doesn't know it, if you're if you're too young to have been around in 1997. Yeah, I've, no, I've never heard of that. It's, oh, it's incredible. Fun. It's good. Yeah. So that's what I've been reading. Cool, cool. Uh, did anybody else read anything today? I've been reading um, um, Ibn Sina's... Um, so his, his, oh, yeah. his magnum we've been, opus... We've been sitting at the uh, <laughs> Davenant table... Oh and uh, Anzi at, at ETS, you know, selling books and whatnot. And, and just to make us look even more real, we, we put Anzi on a chair right out in the middle. <laughs> and he has opened this Arabic text in Arabic. And he's just sitting there casually reading Arabic as these people wander by. Just like he did on the plane on the way here. <laughs> well, it's like, it, it's like it, it, I figure it can help our sales because they come up to us thinking we're like the, you know, these are like the reform. They just like are sort of Europhiles, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then they've got this guy like sitting reading Arabic. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And Bob Mick Colin got range. Colin on the other side going, yeah, I go to a hot dog church. You know, yeah. with the, <laughs> the, big, the big evangelical church. <sighs> yeah, but I've been reading. Um, so Ibn Sina's magnum opus is called The Healing. And mm. it's you can buy it in three volumes now. But it's split into two parts. There's the physics of the healing and the metaphysics of the healing. And I've been reading the physics of the healing, um, particularly Ibn Sina's treatments of, of place, um, space, and motion. Why is it called the healing? 
It's about you know, that I actually kind of don't know. I mean, maybe it's because he thinks he's healing philosophy. Or something. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, Ibn Sina is one of these guys who has the most inflated image of himself imaginable. I mean, more than Aristotle. Oh, much more than Aristotle. I mean, he basically thinks he's the greatest philosopher since Aristotle. He fixes Aristotle. He has an autobiography in which he describes that he outclassed all of his teachers by like the age of fifteen, and then he 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 flee he goes into exile, and he um can't take his library. And so he tells you that he essentially memorized the entire Quran by the age of like eight. And then by the age of 20, he's got all of Aristotle and the entire subsequent philosophical tradition in his head. And every time he cites anything or says anything, it's from memory because he doesn't have his library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of those things from the ancient world. I'm like, maybe that is true. I mean, it could be. It could be. It could be. Um, but um, but it can't be as true as, he says as often is. as people claim. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, there's the a lot point. of guys walking around. You don't know the which Quran thing. Like lying. memorizing the Quran is not that hard because I haven't done it. But it's everyone's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, people do. Well, you think it's the equivalent of memorizing the Bible, but it's like a tenth of the length. So <laughs> still doing <laughs> still it by, a lot. Yeah, by, but, but he yeah. wasn't a native Arabic speaker. Like, well, I don't actually know about that. Some of these guys were Persians, so, so then they had to learn Arabic. This is your wheelhouse. Anyway, I've been mm-hmm. reading Ibn Sina. He's great. Um, yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. I am reading for the first time near the end that hideous strength. Um, first time, mate. I've never, I've never read the. I had never read the trilogy. Oh, before. Yeah. I started reading it in the summer. I think maybe on an episode we recorded a while back. I was still reading Paralandra, maybe. So I'm about to get to the end of that hideous strength. Um, and yeah, the whole thing is blowing my mind. Like I'm, I'm angry that I haven't. People haven't been telling me my entire life about about the Ransom trilogy. Should I say? Not the space trilogy, um, yeah. It's just like blowing myself off. I feel seen. I have a I have a former student uh, from not from Davenant, but from the other institution, which won't be named. And uh, he he read that hideous strength just recently, and he sent me a text with some page, and he's like, "This reminds me of where you work." <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention what pages they were. Yeah, um, we'll presume it was about Sinan. It was clearly yeah. the first book when they're you know at Eden in the unfallen, yes. the unfallen planet, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, my, my favorite line in it, Mark, who's the the male character in it, who's um, full of flaws, and that's a great part of the book. Um, there's a bit where he he's at a low point. He's, he starts blaming his education. I said this to you the other day. I think Colin that uh, he's angry that his education was neither scientific. Nor classical, merely modern, um, which like, is a real problem. And I was like, God, that's me. That describes my like the frustrations I have with the education I've had, and why I now study at Davenant Hall. Um, but also, he then he uses that as an excuse for all the screw ups that he's made. I'm mm. like, oh yes, I also mm. do that too. Mm. I will flagellate and wallow over, mm. you know, my mm. crappy. It's like I, I could be actually like correcting it. But that's too hard. I'd rather just be sad. Yeah. Well, there's, there's another bit where he's like, he desperately wants to be in the inner ring, smoking with the dudes in the library, but he also wants to be at home with his wife and be the hero. Yep. And yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was bruising. And we did the, we talked about the Gorgias and the Sophist last episode. And also I read, read that with Sully at the Colin, like, oh man, I'm a Sophist. Like, <laughs> on a deep, like, kind of reflexive level, that's what I try and do. Um, yeah, so that's me. Uh, of course, what we're reading, uh, Spotlight. This should come out in December, I think. So what will... S- I know what we're going to spotlight. Yeah. Uh, we're going to spotlight Ad Fontes itself and subscriptions. Um, because, listeners, if you're listening, um, and you don't yet subscribe to Ad Fontes, whether it's in print or online or both, um, our uh, subscription costs are going to go up a little bit in January. Uh, so this is the time, if you've been meaning to subscribe to Ad Fontes and you haven't done it, um, to and save some quid. Save numerous quids. Yeah, and they're basically akin to dollars right now. So plural, just, plural quids. Plural what? Yeah, I, I'm not going to try and even think what that would be in Latin. That's what uh, quid is. What isn't it? The thing, quiddity. Yeah, quid, yeah, yeah. quiddity. Yeah. yeah. What the plural quid? Wait, is that where you guys get quid? Maybe you get it from Latin. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, quiditas. What would the plural? Let's not embarrass ourselves by not being able oh, to yeah. pluralize mm-hmm. a, si- a simple. Uh, well, I don't simple. pretend to know Latin. I don't I know just Latin. Do Arabic. Cool. So, you know. yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I've studied Latin, but down at Hall. But it's a reflection on me, on my, on, on the, on the deep problems with my education. That's why, which was neither classical nor scientific, really modern. There you go. Um, yeah, so our subscription uh, rates are going to go up a little bit in January. So if you've been to subscribe, get in now, and you'll get it cheaper for for the next year um, before your subscription renews. So just go to the adfontesjournal.com website, click subscribe, and that's the place to be. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, we really hope you've liked what you've heard today. If you have, give us a a glowing review on iTunes or on Spotify. Not even iTunes, is it, anymore? Apple Podcasts. Sorry, mm. show my age. Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you haven't liked what you've heard today, Colin, what should they do? If you haven't liked what you've heard today, you need to go out and buy yourself, not a pack, a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> you have to smoke all of them in one day, just like your dad told you when he caught you smoking that one time and he said, oh, I want you to finish the pack, kid. He's sitting there on the front porch, finishing the pack, going green in the face, mm. puking your guts out. He says, no, smoke another one, kid. You're that person, and I'm the dad. You got to finish the whole carton, kid, when you're done. Then, and only then, can you give us a one-star review. <laughs> Very good. Um, good luck with that, everybody. Um, okay, well, until next time, um, that's us. We are the Ad Fontes Podcast. We are the editors, and we will see you 